do like the official start. All right, all right. It is running, so okay. Uh, you guys nervous? No. Why not? <laughs> oh, maybe <laughs> we just don't know any better. Hey, I can hear you guys. Oh, right uh, on. Awesome. Oh, right. The voice of God there. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing? I guess dude? we're all here then. Yes. I'm um, hanging in there, man. Hanging in yeah. there. Yeah. Hanging in there. <laughs> that is good. <laughs> so, D, we've got me, Shane. Me, Rich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me, John. <laughs> <laughs> me, me, Laurel. This looks for COVID. Yeah. I, I was kind of thinking and, just the people he didn't know, John. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Left out, so. <laughs> well, and me, Patrick, just to be just to round it out. That's right. <laughs> Might as well. <laughs> right on. Okay. So yeah, um, John. John's a veteran of the show, but uh, just some quick notes. You know, it's pretty much a free-flowing conversation. You know, feel free. Like if you want to curse, you can pretty much there's no rules just whatever <laughs> whatever you guys feel like doing um god okay. knows we do so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah if you guys are ready i guess i'll give us the official kickoff and yep. we'll get started Let's go. <laughs> okay Good evening, everybody. This is Rich Duncan with Ink Heist, and tonight I'm joined by my partner Shane Douglas Keene and Laurel Hightower. And tonight we're celebrating the 15th anniversary of Cutting Block Books. Um, we're joined by John F.D. Taff, D. Alexander Ward, and Patrick Beltran, the editor-in-chief of Cutting Block Books. So how are you guys doing today? Doing very well. Great. Yeah, we're really excited to have you on for a number of reasons. Uh, Shane and myself, we've read a ton of cutting block books over the years. And um, also, this is our biggest, most ambitious episode in terms of <laughs> number of guests we've had on at one time. So we're pretty <laughs> excited. And a little nervous. <laughs> Speak for yourself. I'm not yeah. nervous. <laughs> not, not nervous about the actual conversation, but... We all know how, like, me and you and Laurel have a tendency to sometimes talk over each other. And now, again, I do not. And Laurel <laughs> magnify it by six. <laughs> Here we go. Alma may be on to something. Yeah. But, um, no, we're really excited to have you guys on and, um, Normally, we start it off with kind of a new kid at school speech, um, but I guess since we're celebrating the anniversary of Cutting Block Books, maybe if you want to just talk a little bit about Cutting Block Books and, you know, how it was first formed. Well, I guess I'll take that. This is Patrick. Um, cutting Block um, started in, well, first... It wasn't always Cutting Block Books. It started off as Cutting Block Press. Um, in the summer of 2005, it was uh, first incorporated um, by a fellow named Boyd Harris in uh, Texas. 
And um, uh, he immediately, he and some of his, uh, you know, friends that he that he brought in from online, there's a website called zoetrope.com, where a lot of these people, uh, these creatives would hang out and, um, you know, sort of critique each other's stories and things like that. And that website is still around, by the way, although it's much less active than it used to be. Um, so it started then, and within a year, in a year's time, they produced uh, the first two anthologies. Uh, it was the Horror Library, Volume 1, and the uh, Butcher Shop Quartet. Um, and they were bo- th- both those books were introduced at the uh, World Horror Con in San Francisco in May of 2006. So it was approximately one year later they had two books under their under their belt, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And they went, you know, they gathered more people, they they made more connections, and they put out a string of books. Um, basically, over the next few years, um, and along the way, garnered several Stoker nominations. Um, the Horror Library series is the one that uh, most people are familiar with. Mm-hmm. There was also the Tattered Soul uh, uh, anthology series. Uh, it was the longer. It was more novellas. Also the Butcher Shop Quartet. Um, and it, it went along until uh, summer of 2014. Uh, Boyd decided that um, he was going to move on to other things and he and i worked out a deal where i bought cutting block from him uh under my uh, my company fairlight entertainment um and that was in the summer of 2014 i took it over and then we had another string of uh, anthologies that we put out we had the best poor library mm-hmm. we had um uh, we picked up the Shadows Over Main Street uh, series and, uh, you know, put out another horror library. And we, you know, on down to the present day where we had um, most recently we have we had a, uh, a collection from Joe Lansdale. Uh, Terror is our business. Uh, that was in 2018 and 2019. We came out with the, uh, the most recent, the seven deadliest anthology which uh, both D and uh, John were involved with so it's been a good long run uh, you know 15 years um, about a half a dozen Stoker nominations and uh, a lot of a lot of excellent stories and people that we've met and, and become friends with and have worked with uh, and uh, you know I to my mind, it's a pretty good legacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing that's kind of impressive. I mean, the company itself, but also, you know, I know John and I think D with, you know, other projects like the amount of, you know, Stoker nominations and stuff. But even more important than that, like you said, the like friendships and stuff you made, like the fact that, you know, D and John are both on here with you kind of shows that, you know, you guys have a pretty good working relationship and that, you know, the 
cutting block books, you know, that you were able to cultivate kind of like a author and editor friendly type environment? Absolutely. I mean, I, uh, I'm going to speak for Patrick here, <laughs> but yeah, go ahead. You know, I think that, uh, you know, not only does cutting block have this long history of producing quality work, but, you know, I think that only gets you so far if you're not, uh, good to deal with. If you don't put together a good product, if you don't treat your authors well, you know, you don't develop the kind of rapport with, the authors that are out there that, that Patrick has cultivated with the horror library and, and, and D too, with all the projects that he's been on. And I, you know, I've told this to Patrick, uh, numerous times that, you know, the two publishers that I hold in the highest esteem right now that I have worked with are, uh, gray matter and cutting block. Um, you know, I trust Patrick implicitly with any work that I bring to him. Um, because I see what he does. Uh, and also I, I will say that, uh, you know, Patrick and, and D are terrific editors. I mean, there are people who I trust, uh, wholeheartedly to put my work in front of and have it edited. And that to me is a vital part of the relationship you have with any independent publisher these days is their ability to edit your stuff. Um, you know, Gray Matter does a, a terrific job of that, but you know, Patrick is a damn good editor, and so is D. So, you know, I think it's the, you know, you've got other publishers out there that that you know do certain aspects of what they do really, really well, but you don't find too many publishers out there that that just cover the whole gamut of things that a publisher is supposed to do and do it really, really well. And Cutting Block is one of those for me, at least. And the and the end product kind of demonstrates that. Um, yeah, I've read a, I've read considerable amount of cutting block books. I've read the Shadow Over Main Street books. I've read the Joe and Casey Lansdale book. Uh, mm -hmm. Terror is our business. I've read the Seven Deadliest. You know, on and on and on. But I haven't read a bad book. Right. You know, they're con they're, you guys are consistently good. You put out a consistently quality product and it, and it shows your your philosophy kind of kind of shows. I will say that um, I mean, uh, they've got I, I do feel they've gotten better over time. I mean, the first one there were always. But, you know, I think. I think we sort of perfected the craft as we went along. So, um, and the most recent one, Seven Deadliest, person, I think that's the best book that we've put out in terms of just actual quality of writing, quality of presentation. You know, it's really one that I'm proud of. It's a damn good book. No question. No question yeah. about it. Yeah, I, I love that entire uh, concept. And, you know, I guess it'd be a good thing to kind of dive into the genesis of that project, you know, kind of from like the idea to the finished version, because, you know, you guys have all worked on it together and kind of maybe like your thoughts on, you know, the whole process and kind of what that anthology, you know, like, I guess represents for you, I guess, in a way like. 
you know, just kind of what it was like and, you know, the kind of impact it's had on you. Well, well, I will let John start because he's the one who brought the idea to cutting. (laughs) (laughs) I'm to blame. Uh, Yeah, uh, we've been kicking around some ideas after I did uh, uh, I Can Taste the Blood with Cutting Block. And, uh, you know, this is and I've said this numerous times on interviews. I I realized, you know, four or five years ago, six years ago, that uh, if you want to sit around as an author and wait for people to invite you to projects, you're going to grow old and dusty really quick. (laughs) Um, The best way to do it is just come up with your own ideas and bring them to uh, a publisher and, you know, find the best publisher for the idea that you have. And go from there. So, you know, we had this idea of the the seven deadliest and uh, the seven deadly sins, and uh, you know, it's it's kind of been done to death. But I thought that if you pick the right authors, and you told them, uh, you gave them, you know, you basically drew their hat, their names out of a hat, and awarded them a sin, and then told them not to come at it from, you know, the the typical angle. Um, and that's kind of what we did. I, uh, it brought to Patrick. He was interested. I already had a couple of authors uh, attached. Um, we kind of shifted deck chairs with a couple of authors uh, before we finalized everybody. Uh, but I think that uh, what we were left with, with Bracken and uh, uh, Casey Lansdale and Rena and Brian Kirk, and Richard Thomas and me, I, I thought it was a really strong, uh, I thought it was a really strong TOC full of authors. And it was funny. The, uh, and we really did draw the names out of a hat. I, I, I <laughs> hasten to add that, even though I got, uh, uh, I can't think of the name. Gluttony. <laughs> gluttony. I got gluttony, which seems a little, a little typecasting. And Bracken got angry. <laughs> a little on the nose for you. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, yeah, anger, which is a little on the nose. Yeah, I was going to say Bracken's a soft-spoken guy, but he's a hot-headed yeah. one too. But you know, the, the funny thing was that uh, actually, I think the person that got the hardest one was Richard Thomas. Yeah. And uh, he got uh, lust, and it's so hard. Uh, to not address that in a really trite way. But I thought that, uh, you know, for me, I thought the strongest story in the whole book was Richard's. Uh, I was really disappointed that it didn't make it uh, past the mm-hmm. preliminary ballot for the Stokers, because I thought that was a phenomenal story. Yeah, most definitely. And he and he came he at really, it from a different way. Yeah, he knocked it out of the park. Yeah, he did. He really did. Um, but I thought all the, you know, I didn't really think there was a clinker in the whole bunch. I, I really thought that the stories were really strong offering. And, and like Patrick said, I was I was really, really pleased and proud with the end product that that everybody was able to put together here. And so glad that that uh, Patrick brought D on. I thought that was I thought that was a great add to the mix. Well, this I thought it was happy to yourself. be brought on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, it, um, uh, John, 
came to me, we we said you know, it's, it's going to be good. We're going to do it in you know non-traditional approach to these sins. And the authors started doing their thing. They came, you know, um, their stories, and you know, I set to work on them and everything. And and what I quickly came. If I want to make the deadlines that I had in mind for this book, I'm going to need to bring in, uh, you know, a trusted Mm co-editor who can handle these. In a quality I thought of was D. And uh, you can take it from there, D. yeah it was it was cool uh you know patrick just uh contacted me kind of out of the blue and um i think i was i can't remember what i was in the middle of at the time but um i was of course you know anxious to get on on board with it once especially once i found out um everybody that was involved and the premise and i mean i knew you know i mean like john said you think um the premise and you know seven deadliest sins you're like wow i mean you know that could be overdone uh certainly but um based on uh, who they told me was involved I'm, i thought there's gonna be some good stories they gotta be um so i was i was happy to jump into the mix and uh just help out really yeah and it was a really it was a really great project and uh like one of the things that i thought was pretty unique about it like you all have kind of touched on is kind of like the different angles that people took with the sins like none of them were you know what you would expect predictable i guess you would say and i think that's what really set it apart especially about the uh the uh wrath one like you would expect it to go one way and it went another but there really was like you said no uh bad ones in there and it was definitely one of my favorite anthologies and um kind of what's interesting is you know you all have kind of an editing background um you know how did you guys kind of collaborate on like did you collaborate on um like how you were going to present the stories or, you know, is it more just kind of like one person did a certain thing or was it like a more collaborative overall process? I mean, I yeah. think it was pretty collaborative. Speaking I mean, for myself, I, I think yeah. we had pretty collaborative uh, time of it. I think, I think we, we talked about things, you know, amongst the three of us a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when D and I were actually doing the editing, you know, we split up the stories and we were, but we consulted with each other along the, um, you know, so we, we kept in touch and we, and we, um, sort of swapped stories to, Hey, okay, does this look good? And so on. I, and that's, that's how I remember it. And mm-hmm. you guys can confirm or not. Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, since I had a story in this, I stayed away from the editing for the most part. I let that uh, stay with Patrick. But, you know, Patrick really does have a very collaborative way of dealing. So, yeah, there were certain questions that we talked about um, throughout the project that I was involved in, like the cover and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I felt, uh, you know, I felt involved, which is nice. I mean, uh, he didn't have to do that. I mean, I could have 
been happy with just sitting in the back seat and saying, you know, I'm just I gave you the idea and I'm contributing the story. So you guys run with it. But I like being part of the process. So that was cool for me. Yeah, I'm always interested in that kind of stuff because you you hear a lot about, you know, like author collaborations, but I thought it'd be interesting to kind of hear how it is from like an editor perspective, you know, when you have, you know, two editors kind of working together, because even if you have kind of a similar style, I'm sure there's certain kind of differences. So it's kind of cool to see how like each person brings their, you know, their own yeah, yeah. expertise together. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah, uh, I mean, I want think... you to yeah, go, go ahead? ahead. No, I was going to say, you chime in with with your perspective. Yeah, and well, no, I think uh, it was, it, you know, it was, it was it was a very natural process. Um, and because, you know, it's, it was a little bit uh, different in that, you know, I'm I'm used to being um, in a co-editing uh, project relationship type thing, you know, from what we've done with um, Shadows Over Main Street and mm-hmm. uh, Gutted and stuff. But um, I, uh, you know, the, but then you're, you're talking about landing 20 stories or 18 stories or whatever out of the 30 or the 40 right. you got. And, you know, it's a much more intense process, I think. Um, and this was, I mean, I thought uh, maybe it's, you know, Patrick's kind of just real cool attitude and everything. It was real laid back and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I agree. Well, and, yeah. And, and we, um, you know, we would go, we split up the store uh, and we went off into our corners and, and worked the, the edits. Um, you know, and keeping in contact with the authors and so on along the way as well. So, and, and then we sort of came back, uh, you know, from our, came back into a huddle and, you know, talked about what we had and where we ended up and shared the stories with each other. And, um, you know, I tried to stay open at all times to whatever input um, these guys have because, you know, I trust their instincts. They're, they're, you know, they have great creative minds. So, who am I trying to monopolize and say no? I know better than everybody. You know, so I, I tried to keep it open to all, you know, kinds of discussion and, and collaboration. Right. Um, yeah, and I agree with you too. Two incredibly, incredibly brilliant creative minds. Um, also with that, with that attitude, Patrick, um, are you going to run for president? (laughs) I'll vote for you. Anybody who says I don't listen to idiots is my guy. (laughs) Um, you know, that as tempting as that may sound, I I think I would, um, I think I would get mowed over by the. Well, there's, you know, <laughs> the confederacy of, of idiots out there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not a safe job. Not <laughs> but it was a cool project. I, I was really, you know, I was happy to put it in Patrick's hands. And, you know, Patrick and Dee did a fantastic job with it. I You know, 
Hopefully and let me just say a word too. Let me let me jump in there, John, because you you've said things about us. I'm going to say something nice about you. Oh, shucks. <laughs> you you uh, unambiguously a joy to edit because <laughs> number one, you come in with such a strong product to begin with. Well, okay, you. you're you're like 85 percent of the way where it needs to be when you mm-hmm. in your well, thank you. I appreciate it. You're breaking up. Yeah, yeah, breaking up a little. He couldn't get all that praise out for me. <laughs> he up. I, I, I was, he's, he's all choked up now. No, that's well, you good. Know. And I, I will say that, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. So I, I, no, go ahead, Patrick. You're back. Patrick. No, hey. I, I think he's uh, still cutting in and out. Well, I'm, you know, I, I, I've been doing this for a long time. So uh, should, you know, should this. Oh, hold it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm open to make. It's like Shane and Laurel. <laughs> Patrick, can you hear us? How dare you say that this word? Oh, man. I'm not sure he can hear us or not. I don't know either. Oh, he can? Because I think he's going to be like, I think he's getting ready to say, how dare you say we, we sound like Shane and Laurel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I tell you, I will. Uh, I, I'll to jump on that bandwagon. I, I've I've had the uh, the fortunate opportunity to edit uh, John's work before, um, so I, I can absolutely agree with where I think we all know Patrick was going with that. That you know he is, you know, some people, you know, they uh, are a little bit more adversarial in the editing process. Um, some people you know, enjoy it. Uh, some people want to listen. Some people mm-hmm. don't want to listen and they want to fight you on every little thing. Um, but John, uh, you know, again, he, he arrives with a, a, a pretty fucking solid product to begin with. So he makes it kind of easy on an editor for the most part, from my experience. Um, well, but yeah, you. I mean, I, you can't say enough about John as far as well. Oh, well, you can, I, but I concur. We've <laughs> <laughs> only got about an hour. We've actually we actually published a story by John, and it's the cleanest yes. draft anybody's ever put well, in my you know, hand and, before. And let me. What I was going to say was, I've been doing this for a long time, and I think that uh, talent will carry you so far. But if you're not easy to work with, it almost doesn't matter how good you are at something. People don't want to work with you because you're a dick. 100% true. And I think that I have tried over the last 30 years to be, to not only come with my A game, which means I proof something to an nth degree before I give it to anybody. That doesn't mean it's going to be completely free of typos or completely free of, you know, logistical problems. But I try my hardest to, to give the cleanest draft that I possibly can. And... I I pride myself on being easy to work with because, you know, I, I just think that that's a, the mark of a professional. And I think that if you're out there listening to this and you're getting started, 
as a writer, God damn, you know, be easy to work with. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And John, actually, that was, that was my introduction to you was, was listening to Ink Heist when you were, you know, mm-hmm. first on it last year. And it was one of the things that really struck me was you talking about, you know, working with Tony yeah. um, and how intensive of a project that was between you both with the fearing. And well, I just thought it was such yeah. a great, you know, a great like lesson to come from you. That's like, Hey, he was making suggestions, changing things, and you were, you know, going with it and listening and just the the presentation that this was such a collaborative process. Right. You know. I think if you, you know, you you write a piece of work and you make it the best you possibly can, and then you you hand it over to an editor who is hopefully talented enough to point out any problems you might have. And I'm not just talking about commas and you know, misspelled words and that kind of crap, but I'm you know, logistical problems with the story or, you know, would it be better to do this or what you did here? You know, somebody who can do that. And, you know, uh, Tony's always my go-to guy when I talk about that, just because I've worked mostly with Tony. But Patrick is right there with him. He is capable of doing that, too, as is D, as is Doug Morano. I mean, these are people who uh, will not just read your story and say, well, you know, probably should have a semicolon there and, you know, I don't need a grammarian so much to, to, to read a story. I want somebody to read the story and say, you know what you said back here on page three, and then you said something here on 17, they don't jive. That doesn't make sense. You know, somebody who can do that, a content editor, not just a copy editor. And those yeah. are hard to find. There's a huge difference, too, Absolutely. though. People always think when you say editor that, that someone going through and redlining typos right. and misspellings and – that's important. Oh, yeah. I don't want to say that that's not important, but no, man, if you. I'm going to write a story, I want somebody to tell me, yeah, this doesn't make any sense. What you're saying here doesn't make any sense um, because you don't want to put that out in print. And then you have people reading it and going, oh, it's a great story, except for this part here where this doesn't make a lick of sense. <laughs> dead, and then he came back and killed him. Well, really, really. I, I view that as, a, you know, that's your uh, that's your person who tells you in the morning. Uh, don't go to work without your pants on. Really, it's not. It won't be good for anybody. Oh my God! Do I need to put my pants on? Thanks a lot. Rather than, and I know that there, are, I know there are plenty of authors out there who argue every little thing. You know what? If my attitude about it has always been, if you can make me think about something, and if I can't come up with a good enough reason why I didn't do this, then I'll do it. Yeah, it's a trust. I mean, it's a trust thing too. Right. You know, it's when you're when you're working with. Um, and I apologize. I'm total neophyte in this whole you know community, no, so no. I'm still learning a lot. But, uh, you know, as far as just like the presses that you want to work with are the ones who have the established editors who know what they're doing. Right. You know, because they they save your bacon. They, they they make sure that you you know like you said you're not putting something out there that doesn't make any sense. Right. It's it's all a, it's all a, it is it's entirely a trust issue. Uh, And you've got to trust that the editor has your best interest in mind. And they're not just trying to, you know, make their story, make your story theirs. And I've dealt with editors like that. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I've dealt with editors who edit to make the story theirs. And you're like, why did you buy it? If (laughs) 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 If you want to just make it, you just go write one that sounds like it. Really, but, it's not it's not a fucking screenplay, buddy. Leave right. it alone. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that that, you know, the the and unfortunately, I can count these people on a on a hand. 
you know, people like Patrick and, and D and Doug and Tony, uh, you know, this is just so, so important to have those kind of relationships out there as an author. Yeah, I agree. And it's, I, I just remember getting, I don't know, there was some, one of those super fun Twitter threads that go, gets been <laughs> totally out of control. Right. Where, Somebody had asked, you know, like, okay, so like editors and beta readers, do you really need them? Like, oh my God, for fuck's sake, yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. please I don't mean, be throwing. And and I had people coming back at me saying, well, what if they try and sabotage? I'm like, who on earth are you yeah. working with? I think like, that says more about the author than it does about anything else. Yeah, that was kind of my thought. I'm like, I just, I don't think people are out there beta reading for the joy of sabotaging you. But I don't know. know? People have more important things to do with their life. If they're, if they want to read one of my stories and offer me some critique, and I'm not talking about just, oh, it was a great story. I loved it. That doesn't help me. But (laughs) if somebody wants to take the time to read the story and give me notes, I feel honored that somebody would want to do that for me. I really do. Well, yeah, even if you don't take the note, I mean, you don't have to take right. every note. No, you don't have to take every note. But if it gets you to think, that's the thing. If it gets you to think about the point and go, no, I see what you're saying there, but I'm going to stick with what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, oh, I see what you're saying there, and I think that what you're saying makes sense. Yeah, because it's, I mean, it's important, too. Like like you said, you know, I, I've never really dealt with anybody trying to make my book their own, but whenever I do beta reading, I I think a lot about how to phrase things because I don't ever want to start attempting to obscure the writer's voice because I feel like that's the most important thing to come across. You're exactly right. And that's what it is. It's, it's, there's editing to make the story, the best story that it can be. And there's editing to completely obliterate a writer's voice. Um, And that's what you kind of got to watch out for. But, you know, my experience is that doesn't even happen that much. What you normally have and I hate to say it, um, is is editors who just kind of, you know, they'll correct a period or a comma throughout or you find a misspelled word. That's it. That's all you're going to get. And that's yeah. not helpful to me. Well, and that's the, I mean, in my opinion, that's the most boring part of the Right, editing. right. Yeah. I mean, the exciting stuff is the back and forth between the editor and the author. Right. I mean, that's the... That's the stuff that I live for when we when I do these projects. You know, I mean, I love like going like, well, what were you, you know, what, yes. were, you, what were you seeing here in this scene? And, you know, and, you know, you, I, I learn as much, you know, just by I learn more about the process by, you know, um, kind of digging into the author's head where it is appropriate to do so um, yeah. than anything. I think that also is what sets you apart. As an editor, D, hmm. uh, within that group, it's just that you want to you it, it gets back to that collaborative process. You want to have this collaborative process with the author um, to make that story again, the best that it can possibly be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that as an author, and I know there are a lot of authors that are out there like me that deeply appreciate that kind of, you know, being able to work together with an editor. Yeah. And if I can just say, um, None of the authors in in Seven Deadliest um, had, you know, any issues with collaborate collaboration. They were yeah. all very collaborative and very open. Well, to that's the process. that's a good that's a good some good handpicking authors there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I hate to say it, but you know, the kind of stuff that I like to be involved with these days is that you know. I have an idea. I take this somebody and then 
me and the editor or me and the publisher sits down and works out the list of authors we're going to invite. Um, I hate to say it, but I just I hate open calls. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get hate. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm starting to, I'm starting to hate open cards calls too. <laughs> Who has time for open calls? I mean, I remember horror stories of of D and Doug telling me that the amount of submissions they were looking at. And Tony, when he was doing uh anthologies, he doesn't do them anymore, but when he was doing anthologies, that last one, he got over a thousand submissions. Who has it got a time? Yeah. Uh, his name is Ken McKinley, and I don't ah, know what's right. wrong with him. <laughs> well, you know, I think, God love him, I think a lot of publishers, when they start out, they think it's the way to go, and then they do one or two books, and they're like, oh, this is horseshit. I can't do this. <laughs> I mean, and that, you know, but that does show you how important it is to make sure uh, things like, you know, the, the story you're writing has a good grab at the beginning, that there's not 16 typos on the first page. You know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I read I read a really interesting blog post uh, recently. I think it was by somebody at Raw Dog that said, you know, there's so many submissions into any open call. They're looking for a reason to reject you, not a reason to pick Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And that's yes. true. When you've got a thousand submissions, you're just looking for a reason to cross somebody off. Yeah, that is actually very true. The last open call that we did at Cutting Block was Horror Library 6. Mm-hmm. Um, edited by the very capable Eric, Eric Guinard. Um, we had we had over a thousand yeah. uh, submissions for that, and I mean it's brutal. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. You, um, because you can't. I mean, even with both of us, uh, you know, reading slush, um, you can't. Um, you can't just uh, give every story the amount of time that really right. maybe it deserves. You have to you have to look for shortcut ways to identify. Okay, does this fit or not? Mm-hmm. Is this what we are looking for or not? And you know, and probably we made mistakes along the way. You know, there might have been a story that we didn't yeah. that we didn't accept um, because we missed something. But right. Uh, there's really no other way to do it because we yeah. you just have so many. I think it's the nature of the beast. I mean, I really do. But, you know, again, that it just underscores what I was saying about, you know, making sure the story is the best it can be before you send it in, making sure it's clean, being easy to work with. I mean, all these things are reasons that any editor is probably going to look for to cut you out to make space for somebody else. So don't give that to them. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And I think that's really, this is all very useful too, because I know like it's, yeah. this is a podcast for readers, but I've, I've always said um, that, that it also is very good for writers. Mm-hmm. And I know that a lot of our listeners are, you know, folks who are submitting things to open calls and, you know, this is just very valuable uh, to, you know, to have folks like you all who have, have run these open calls, you know, and, and learned a lot from them. And, and this is just excellent feedback for folks to get so that they can really be sending in the best product that they can turn out. Really? Right. Really. And um, I mean, and the, feedback that they the most important stuff that has come out of here is what you said about editors john and how important they really are um people will argue against that yeah um and and then uh 
Laurel's point, but I can't remember what the fuck she said now. But I, <laughs> I don't know, but I'm sure. You probably <laughs> listen to these podcasts. Yeah, they're really good. <laughs> yeah, someone told me this was a good show. I'll have to check it out someday. <laughs> but no, it's it's kind of interesting too. Um, like I know you said, like you kind of try and find shortcuts. You kind of like to just see it to try and cut down the sheer numbers. But um, one thing that we had talked about with another guest, uh, Jeremy Hepler is, you know, about reading slush. And, you know, I know you guys have probably been doing that for a while now, but maybe even from like your early experiences, you know, do you feel like reading slush, like, has that helped you? Cause I, I'm pretty sure all three of you are also writers. Like has reading slush kind of like, influenced how you like create your own work and kind of stuff that you want to avoid or you know to look out for or kind of like what's the uh import like kind of the benefits you can get from reading slush submissions Mm -hmm. well Uh, let me uh i will say (laughs) i started uh with cutting block like at the very beginning when when boyd was Mm -hmm. still the owner um I started as being one of the slush readers. I mean, that's what I was doing. And um, it it is a it's an eye opening experience because you get to see the universe of you know a, a, a broad cross sample because mm-hmm. all of these were open calls, right? So a, a, a cross sample of all kinds of writers and all kinds of techniques and all kinds of things not to do, <laughs> you know. Um, it, it, it is a, it is a learning experience. It's, it's eye opening, And, um, you know, it made me realize that it's not, not easy writing something and doing it well is not an easy thing. And it mm-hmm. seems easy and a lot of people try it, but, you know, to really get all the, to really get piece firing on all cylinders it's not an easy task so you got to work at it you gotta you know you have to be open to learning from people um it's just it's a process Mm -hmm. what do you think d um i don't like to read slush um i find it brings out the worst in me Um, (laughs) like you know what i mean like like I'm like, you know, I I do pretty well at suppressing the snarky asshole that lives inside of me. Um, but you know, when you're reading some of that stuff, it's like, I don't know, man. It's it puts me in a real negative frame of mind. And I would rather, I guess, I'm I'm more likely likely to learn uh, ab- about writing from the stories that I read. You know, that that it's some some that have made it into the anthologies and some that haven't made it, but were nonetheless uh, excellent stories, um, just weren't maybe the right fit. Right. But, I mean, I, I learned more about it by seeing what's done right. You know, I mean, there's always exposure to what's done wrong. Um, but, you know, with, you know, if you're, if you're, if you got a hundred uh, short stories to read in front of you, I mean, I totally get why, you know, I've heard of a lot of editors that will say that, you know, in an open call, basically, if if you haven't got me by the first paragraph, I'm moving right. on. 
Right. And I understand that because who's like John said, who the fuck's got the time for that? Mm-hmm. Uh, that would yeah, you know, that would just drive me to drink even more. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Screw that. So and yeah, I, I mean, I, I like uh, I like doing for me. I like doing open pitch calls where mm-hmm. basically you know instead of you know you get a writer to say, hey, I've got an idea for a story. You know, here's the elevator pitch for it. And um, you know, if you think that sounds cool, say yeah, okay, cool, go ahead. Write it and then submit it. I mean, right. I like doing that, but I do not like doing open calls, and I don't ever foresee doing it. <laughs> I could, yeah. I mean, I've never, I've never done that, but I, I just don't think I would have the, uh, I don't think I would have the patience. I'm not built that way, and nah. I think this this carefully crafted veneer of being a nice guy would go right out the window. <laughs> Yeah, right. So true. My my so facade true. will shatter in a second. <laughs> I can't afford that. I got to be nice. I got to be I got to be a good boy. Well, if any of you guys are ever looking for a slush reader, I can assure you that Rich will do it for you. <laughs> you know what? I I would. Um, but too, it's it's kind of funny. Um, I I kind of like what uh, D had said. Like you know, open calls are you know, not necessarily for like editors doing the project or for a writer or kind of like a fact of life. But I kind of wish that that would be a more prevalent way to, you know, do submissions is kind of what D said, like a, you know, like a pitch type of deal. Yeah. I mean, I find it uh, is a lot easier that way. And, uh, you know, I mean, so sometimes you can tell in the pitch whether, the author's voice is coming through. So, I mean, just by the very nature of the, some pitches, you're like, Oh man, I cannot wait to read this when he writes, (laughs) um, you know, so I, I think it's a, I think it's a much better way, but I mean, probably open calls are a necessity because I mean, everybody starts out somewhere. Right. I mean, but that's what Mm -hmm. I'm saying. I wouldn't want to, cause part of me realizes that, Okay, you're sitting here cracking wise about this guy's story and the premise because it's utterly fucking ridiculous. <laughs> but you know that this person has put their heart into right. it. Right, exactly. And as a writer, I mean, I've done that, my God, especially a long time ago. The stuff that I sent out, I can't even imagine oh, the fun yeah. that they had with that shit. Um, so, you know, I mean, I just, it, like I said, it brings out the worst in me. It makes me feel very complicated i don't like that <laughs> well but i you know i think you're right you do have there's got to be a place for new writers to to you know cut their teeth on yeah and and open calls are really one of the few ways that that, that can happen so the people who are out there uh doing it you know godspeed you are doing god's work I, that's for sure you know yeah well and it's the kind of thing too that that maybe it's you know because i mean y'all are talking about having uh i guess Patrick, you you said you had done some in the past, right? Yes. Yeah. So it's one of those things that's I kind of look at it like when I waited tables, like for a while, I was great at it. I was friendly yeah. to everyone. I was super cheerful. And at the point in which I wanted to stab every customer when they walked in, I was like, <laughs> I'm going to quit. You know, <laughs> I don't want to be the person serving their food tonight. I'm just right. too angry. So, you know, I mean, it's one of those things that while you're able to do it, yeah, you're, you know, you're doing God's work and then then you move on and let someone else step in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was, you know, not that Tony is here on the call, not that Tony would ever be on the call. But, uh, <laughs> and so I'll speak for Tony because 
what the fuck? Like he's going to say anything? Um, <laughs> that's how he started. I mean, they built Grey Matter. He built Grey Matter on anthologies, and he must have done, I don't know, six or seven of them, and th- until he finally just went, I can't do this anymore. You know, I just straight up can't do this anymore. I don't have the time. Uh, you know, my heart's not in it. I want to do novels, and I want to do, you know, single author collections from people that I like, and and that kind of stuff. But you know, I, I think even though that's kind of the arc probably that mo- most publishers or some publishers take, again, thank God that there are the publishers out there that are doing the open calls. Uh, because, you know, I started 30 years ago. I had all sorts of stuff, all sorts of different places I could send stories to. I don't think there's a whole lot of places anymore to do that. Not many. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it has kind of a shrunk, but... um. You know, anthologies, like you were saying, you know, I was just wondering, you know, what kind of anthology, what in spot, because Cutting Block has done a lot of anthologies. Like, what do you guys like about anthologies, whether you've edited them or even, you know, some of your favorite ones? Um, Because there's been a ton of great ones, but it seems like, you know, they're kind of hard to put together and put out there. Mm -hmm. But they're, Mm -hmm. they're very essential, like... He was just saying, like, when I first got into indie horror, it was through kind of like Grey Matter was like the first publisher I found. And, you know, those anthologies introduced me to a lot of my favorite authors, you know, that I'm currently fans of now where I'll pick up their novels and uh, stuff like that. So I was just wondering, you know, what what do you guys like about, you know, whether it's editing anthologies or even just reading them? You go first, Pat. Well, for cutting, yeah, for cutting block. I mean, uh, you know, anthologies has been pretty much what we've done. I mean, we've had we've had some, uh, um, we've had a collection here and there. We've had a we did a novel. Um, you know, we've we've done other things, but anthologies is really what we built ourselves on, and. More to the point, pretty much all open call anthologies because, you know, the horror library series, the whole the whole sort of philosophic premise was, you know, this is something for anybody. They're non-themed, so any story can be considered and throw the cast the net far and wide and, and see, you know, find the good the good stories. So, I mean, that's been, that's pretty much been what we've done. Um, it, 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 hard, it, you know, it's not a trivial process. It mm-hmm. takes a lot of time, a lot of, um, but it does give sort of the new voices opportunities to be published, new, you know, up and coming writers, people now. <laughs> They're, you know, um, writing and submitting and gotten their craft up to a point where, you know, we can consider putting them in a book. It is a way to, you know, to, you know, sort of introduce people to an audience. And that is an important function. And it's one that we've tried to maintain. I got to tell you, it's gotten harder and harder, not just in terms of the actual tasks that you have to do the editing, the, the slush reading and so on. But in ter- terms of financially, um, you know, 
Doug Morano has said that his, you know, he does anthologies and his anthologies make money. I'd like to know what his secret is because um, <laughs> more and more lately, uh, you know, anthologies uh, cost a lot of money to put out there and um, they are challenged to make that money back. Yeah. So, Doug is the only guy I've ever heard say that, really. That well, he, well, yeah. I mean, it, it's not untrue. Uh, no, <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, we, I'm not. When we did, we did I'm pretty not well. Doubting we got him. It. I'm just like that. Yeah. Well, so. he sold his soul to the devil. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think we can all agree on that. I'm certain of it. <laughs> well, um, is that the trick? So I have to, I have to meet the devil at some crossroads. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't bother with that. I got his number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Patrick, I, I totally agree. I mean, as you know, we, you and I had this conversation not that long ago uh, about how difficult it is. Um, yeah. But, uh, but I still maintain. And I think John would agree with me, too. I think he and I have kind of touched on this on some Twitter uh, feeds before. I mean, although they're difficult to do uh, and, you know, you'd be lucky to break even. um, I think they are absolutely necessary because uh, it is a way to introduce new voices Mm -hmm. into a, you know, a room that can sometimes seem very crowded and you know, difficult to hear new voices. Uh, and, uh, you know, as, as an editor and a writer or whatever, it's, it's another way for those of us working on it to discover those voices. And, you know, if you're professionally doing it, you know, that gives you the chance maybe to try and work with them again on something. And, you know, uh, I, I think it's just, uh, it's, it's vital. Yeah. I think for me, anthologies over and above my, uh, professed love for the short form period is they're a great way to introduce uh, readers to a whole host of authors that they might otherwise not, you know, have the opportunity to be exposed to in one volume. Um, So I think that, yeah, I hear a lot from publishers that uh, anthologies don't make money. They don't make as much money as, longer works novels and whatnot and i think that's true i think it's true i think you can do that with an anthology but i i think it's hard um but i think uh the people that are producing anthologies are are again i keep using this tone this term but they're doing god's work because those are the kinds of things that attract uh new readers to horror and expose you know, God, you can get uh, uh, an anthology with, you know, 19, 20 authors on them. And how often is that going to happen for a reader to be exposed to that many number of new authors all at the same time, all in one book? So, I, you know, I think it, it helps to bring in this continual flow of new reader blood into the genre. So I think they're vital. Yeah. No phone calls. Somebody's in trouble. <laughs> you that cell phone into class. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, no, I was just, <laughs> that I was just, ugly. 
What's that? That detention's going to be ugly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I, one thing that's interesting about the anthologies, you know, is how even for writers, like I haven't had anything accepted in the one or anything like that, but I would imagine that, you know, for the writers, besides bringing in new readers for writers, you know, you might make those professional relationships. Like I think D said, and you know, like you might sell a story to one publisher and they might really like your voice and then you might Mm -hmm. develop a relationship with them for novels. So that's another kind of important function. Yeah. I mean, my, uh, first, uh, go around with gray matter was when they first, put up their calls, their open calls. Uh, God, it must have been seven or eight years ago now for Dark Visions and uh, Ominous Realities and Splatterlands. And, uh, you know, I submitted a couple stories blind, and that has started, you know, again, along with, with, with the relationship I have with Patrick and the relationship I have with Dee and Doug. You know, the, the best uh, relationships, some of the best relationships I have in this industry. Hello, is this thing on? <laughs> yeah. No, I just uh, wanted to. I didn't know if anyone else was going to jump in on that. Well, I tried, you rude bastard. You, you know? <laughs> <laughs> At least you had the microphone on. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> well, no, the first time I tried, I did not. I was trying to cover from <laughs> No, but that is true. As as you know, not just on the uh, the readership coin, an anthology is really helpful for authors looking to get their name out and looking to make relationships with with publishers um yeah. yeah so it's 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 important on both sides of the table definitely and i i want to i want to speak to for a moment to the question of um you know financing these books um <laughs> i will say since i i took over cutting block in 2014 in, in the summer of 2014 and every year, I have pumped my own personal money to supplement the the income that the books mm-hmm. uh, bring in in order to publish these various anthologies to you know to keep to keep the the presses humming so to speak. Um, and you know, I'm I'm been happy to do it because it is I do see it first of all. I enjoy anthologies, uh, you know, myself, um, mm-hmm. and I enjoy bringing them to people, to other people to read. Um, and, and for all the good reasons that we've talked about, um, you know, but it is, there's a lot of expense involved, right? You have to, you're not just paying one author for a novel, you're paying, you know, 20 or 30 authors for a bunch of short stories. Um, and that, you know, it gets expensive and, um, you know, but it's not a it's not a trivial amount for a small press. I mean, exactly. for the big guys, for the big guys, you know, I don't know, they can stroke a check and not break a sweat. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> for for the little guys, I mean, you know, it's not a trivial investment. So, you know, the best thing that people can do to support these things and to to make sure that there's more of them is to buy the books yep. and leave uh, reviews. And leave reviews, yes. 
Because reviews help other people decide to buy the book. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and word of mouth. Uh, word of mouth is huge anymore um, in this day and age. The more you talk about the books you read, the more people say, oh, I bought it. Thank you. That's true. Uh, mm-hmm. At least yeah. I've found it to be true. I don't know about Rich, but I've found it to be true that um, more people tend to respond to what I do on Twitter and Instagram than what I do on our own website when it comes to reviews and things like that. Um, as far as yeah. the, just the number of positive, you know, turned into sales responses, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree with that for sure. Because it's kind of, it's kind of funny because I'd say we get more out of those than like Shane and I. We both have a tendency to write like these really long ass reviews, and people are people are probably shaking their heads. But like if we tweet about <laughs> something, you know, we get like you know we get a lot more response out of that. Right. But I write my long ass reviews because I like my fucking long ass reviews. <laughs> well, yeah, I think I think we both do, and that's why we keep doing it that way. <laughs> but um, you know, going back to like anthologies, when you put when you put these together, you know, what is one of the what are some of the things you look for besides you know just great stories like. Is there, do you put a focus on a central theme or is, do you think like themes are important when it comes to anthologies or is it more just kind of how you curate the stories or kind of a mixture of both? Well, I think we've done, Cutting Block has done both themed and unthemed. And um, I think people. People respond pretty well to the to themed anthologies. I mean, they like you know a set of stories tied together by a sort of a larger theme. I I think that uh, gives people something that they can hook into for the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so my my impression is that, and this is like there's no hard data behind this, that um, unthemed anthologies you know, are kind of a harder sell in terms of, you know, um, getting people excited to buy it. Now, you can have a bunch of stories in an unthemed anthology and, um, you know, if it has a a name that people recognize, like Horror Library, then they might be excited to buy it because of that. But from the point of view of the new uh, reader who doesn't know anything about you or your books... And they see an ad or they they read a review. Um, they can get if if there's a theme that that, that resonates with them, that's like a, a a direct way to hook into their interest more so than hey we just we just threw a bunch of uh, stories together that don't really have anything to do with each other. Yeah, I mean I think the theme is. Um, uh, I mean I think back to the. You know, the the paperback uh, anthologies that I know that um, I read coming up, you know, of course, these are books that were put out by, you know, fairly large publishers. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's uh, what uh, John helped me out here. What was it? Uh, Masters of Darkness is. Yeah. It was yep. like, you know, King and Barker. Right, and, right. 
Madison and, you know, all that stuff. So, I mean, I mean, I think we all, we kind of grew up on that. And so we, we love that. And I mean, I love the idea of an unthemed anthology. I'm not sure I could edit it. I don't, you know what I mean? I feel like I'd just be lost like the whole time. Like, wait a minute. Uh, I mean, yeah, this is a good story and this is a good story. And how do I choose between the two? You know, (laughs) I mean, with a, with a theme, you've got like somebody, Oh, well, I kind of like what they did, but this, you know, the, their interpretation and then this one over here is uh is just hewn a little too closely to another one that i've already picked or something right, like that. Right. i mean it seems a lot easier to, to navigate a uh themed anthology but then again i mean i guess if you're you know if you got big balls as an editor and everyone <laughs> wants to work with you and uh, you can just throw a bunch of stuff together and make it work i don't know I've, i'm hold that thought I can't talk about it, but hold that thought. <laughs> <laughs> and I can say nothing more. <laughs> John is the king of the vague tweets. <laughs> <laughs> the in-person version of that. Uh, boy, is he. <laughs> this one will pay off. That, well, they actually always do anyway. So. Yeah, I don't like to even vague tweet unless I pretty much know it's a different deal. <laughs> All right, that's... I won't do it unless it's the same way. I'll tell someone in private, maybe. Yeah. And even, even then, that's a stretch. <laughs> Shane's holding the published book in his hand. I don't know. Is it okay? <laughs> Can I tell people? <laughs> Can I speak of this yet? <laughs> oh, I submitted my first fucking poem when I was 55 years old. So, you that's know. That's great, man. <laughs> wow. It's like everybody's got to start somewhere. That's right. <laughs> that is right, and I'm proud of you for doing it. And they're great. It's great stuff. The stuff that I've read so far, spectacular. Um, I'm yeah. That project has been hugely, hugely important to me, and I appreciate uh-huh. your words. It's, I, I suck at taking compliments, but thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, always hard to, it's always harder to take compliments than criticism, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know, man. Try it. <laughs> I think my fair share. Actually, I th- I think Laurel and Rich were laughing at me because I got my first re- rejection the other day, and I was celebrating about it. That that is like the most complimentary rejection I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. So. You know, aren't those the most infuriating? The complimentary rejections. Yeah. Like, we really love your piece, but. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly, dude. You can really, you can right. really write. And of course, the response was one I should have expected. Um, but <laughs> it's way too dark for us. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that happens. Well, you shouldn't be submitting to children's publishers, Shane. It's just <laughs> it's the wrong. No, your market, Shane. <laughs> That was Rich is my agent, so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I've been trying to get him to send his stuff out for a while, so it's been cool to see him uh, sending that stuff out there. Definitely. It is. But enough about me. Let's talk about the fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you. You know, uh, we just we saw that um, someone that we, uh, whose work we like, Sam uh, Samantha Kolesnik, just started her own press like this mm-hmm. week, 
And um, so, you know, it's something also that we talked to Ken McKinley about is how how much we want to encourage, you know, the great presses to to be able to stick it out and to support them and everything. So I was curious, you know, you guys have been around for 15 years. What what kind of advice would you give to to new publishers starting out? Uh, well, I guess the most important thing, really, um, treat your writers with respect and professionalism. Mm-hmm. Which means, you know, uh, have clear contracts, have, you know, clear understandings of, the, of, you know, the business side of things. And then, you know, pay them when you say you're going to pay them and pay them how much you say you're going to pay them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then um, from the editing standpoint, you know, Make sure that you have, uh, you know, the best editors you can get that will um, that know how to work with authors and and get the best product from them, and um, you know, and hopefully you'll find your audience. I agree. Hundred percent. I mean, I am um, at least. From from the point that I took over Cutting Block, um, we have I think we've been late with royalties one time, and that was like by two days. Which the is rest hardly, of the time, hardly late by industry standards. <laughs> the rest <laughs> of the time, you know, knock on wood, we've been able to pay everybody when we said we were going to pay them. And it's all in a contract, and everybody knows and understands what it is, and we stick to it. I mean, it's a very—it's a point of pride for me, as a businessman, as you know, as as a writer myself, as someone who understands, you know, what it's like to be, uh, you know, um, you know, to have product. You know, to have the you know stories that you put out there that then you know you're waiting for people to pay you or whatever. It's just very important to me personally that we treat people professionally, and that's really that's half the battle. If people feel comfortable and they know that they can trust you to you know to do what you say you're going to do, then you know. I, the rest that, can just follow after that. I think that's huge, too, what you just said there, Patrick, because, like, I mean, Ken McKinley, who's been mentioned a bunch of the time, he's he's one of those guys, and you can tell by the way his authors talk about him. Um, Tony Rivera, you can tell by the way his authors talk about him that they have a lot of respect for him except for John. And, <laughs> and, but that's not altogether unexpected either. Yeah. <laughs> and and the same goes for you guys, you know. So I mean, D has put out some really killer stuff over the years, and you obviously have. Um, and your authors, the authors that have worked with you in the past, have said, "Really dug working with those guys," you know, and. So, yeah, the respect pays off. You end up showing yourself to be one of the better publishers that way. Yeah, um, and I hope we can continue, you know, into the into the future. I hope yeah, we can I think, continue for a long time. And you will. I mean, I, and I think in publishing, 
especially in the indie press and the, and the small press these days, which is, you know, that's the, the majority of the horror genre right now. They're carrying the, the bulk of the, of the genre right now. You know, I think it's two things. It's respect for the reader in, in putting together the best product you can possibly put together, putting it out the best way you can possibly put together, making it look, you know, from the outside cover to the inside layout, the best that it can possibly be, edited the best it can possibly be, but then also respecting the authors that you're dealing with because they're your they're your natural resource. And, and you know, the industry is way too small to um, – to be nasty or to be dishonest to authors because it's going to spread like wildfire and, and people aren't going to want to work with you. And then you're not going to have any quality authors to deal with. So, you know, it's, it's all respect game both ways to the reader and to the, to the author. I think that's a really Absolutely. good point about, uh, about respect to the reader as well. Yeah. Just as that's, yeah, I think that's good advice. That's great advice. And I've, well, I've, it's all a respect game. I think also from the author side, you've got to be respectful of the publisher that you're submitting to. I mean, it's not only just the trust. The trust doesn't just go one way. You know, you've got to be respectful to this person who, like Patrick said, is, you know, putting their money on the line to, to bring your work out to a larger audience. So, you know, you've got to be willing to, to work collaboratively. You've got to be willing to work with an editor. You've got to be you know, trusting in the sense that that publisher has your best interests in heart. Um, it's all a it's all a big respect circle. Yeah, and you all fell asleep. Okay. Yeah, no, I, no. I was waiting for somebody to jump in. No. This is us no. trying to be polite and. Oh, I thought it was. Yeah, no. Staff talking again. Wake me up when Taft's done. <laughs> I'll just sit here quietly and sit my whiskey. See, this is what comes to me trying not to interrupt you, Shane. Fuck it. You're not going to talk the rest of the night. Yeah, we're all trying to be too polite so everybody gets quiet at the one at the same time. Like there's six of us and we're all going, fuck, is it my turn? Or, uh, yeah. <laughs> Laurel and I do it all the time, though I've been disappointed in us today because that was the first time we've interrupted each other. So, and it's kind yeah. of a requirement. I'm sorry, are you still talking? <laughs> oh, uh, also, fuck off, Laurel. <laughs> you too, buddy. <laughs> well, John, I, th I think that, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, this is all, I feel like, really excellent advice, you know, again, for, for writers who are starting out and who may not have worked yet with presses, you know, indie or otherwise, that right. that's, that is a really good point. It's, you know, so much of it initially seems like just trying to get on. Right. You know, it's it's wherever you can, you're clawing your way in. But, you know, that's that's just the beginning. Um, and, yeah, so I think that's big is, is uh, you know, being communicative um, and responding to requests and edits and uh, all that kind of thing, you know, is huge. Because, yeah, uh, you want to be someone who's easy to work with. Yeah, absolutely. Because you want you want to you want somebody to work with you again, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know. I'm sure no one is out there thinking, if I could just sell this one short story, I'm done. I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm going to take my 50 bucks and sail <laughs> off into the sun. <laughs> you got to think yeah. that, you know, you got to think of this as a, you know, this is a longer game and, and that you want people not only 
through the strength of the stuff that you're writing, but also through how you are as a person to deal with, you want to, you want people to work with you again. Yeah. And pay you. Right. Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, because like you say, it's easy. You know, you don't see anybody out there going, I sure hope I can get some exposure this time. <laughs> <laughs> I sure hope I can get sell some more of these for the love stories. Right. <laughs> People love me. Are they paying you? Well, no, but they love me. No, but I get. Yeah. You should see my Twitter feed, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, people, people who write for exposure, we love you, really. We just don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. So I, I think we kind of touched on it a little bit, but um, what were some of what are some anthologies that you guys have read, you know, over the course of the years that you would think are like your favorite or maybe like classic anthologies? Well, uh, I'll say Dark Forces from the 80s, but that's all I can say about that. <laughs> John, with another another uh, big statement there. <laughs> and I'm just, you know, I'm just sitting here staring at the ceiling. <laughs> and you better, you better, Shane. Just stare at that ceiling. No, like, this, is, this, this is the appropriate time to shut up and talk to your fucking window, Shane. <laughs> the window tells no one. Uh, but, you know, Dark Forces was the one that came out in the early 80s. It, it was edited by Kirby McCauley. Um, it had, uh, you know, just a laundry list of, of huge writers, Robert Aikman and Gon Wilson and Robert Block and Joyce Carol Oates and Stephen King, of course, Randy Campbell. I mean, it was just chock filled with with not only the best of horror writers at the time, but some just really top drawer uh quote unquote literary authors who were writing dark fiction. Um, it was one of the first anthologies, horror anthologies that I can remember reading uh, back in my you know misbegotten youth. Um, but you know, I have to really say, uh, without picking out an a, you know an anthology recently, because yeah, I'm in so many of them, I don't want to single one out just because it's got a story in from me, but. I really do believe, and we've talked about this a lot, you guys, that, that we are in a golden age of horror. There is so much good stuff out there right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it really is an embarrassment of riches for readers. There's so many good authors out there uh, writing stuff, and there's so many good uh, anthology venues that have appeared over the last, you know, five, ten years that, that have gathered some really spectacular stories and some really spectacular voices. I, I think it's it's been fairly incredible. And again, that this is not being shouldered by the big press anymore. I mean, the big press is, you know, putting out the big guys, the, the Stephen Kings and the Mailermans and, you know, Paul Tremblay and that kind of stuff. But it's really the, the small indie press that is putting out a lion's share of, of horror these days. So that's pretty incredible. Yeah, I was thinking about that earlier today. That it that it's it must be weird to be uh, someone who's only casually a reader of horror to the point that basically, if it's not sitting on a shelf in Barnes and Noble, you've yeah. never heard of it. 
Yeah, so they're probably I mean, thinking, what think, happened to horror? Yeah, or you think about people like that who, you know, uh, you know, oh man, I, you know, I, re- I read all Josh Malman's books. Probably don't know anything about things like uh, uh, this, the day of the pig, or mm-hmm. you know, you know what I mean, stuff yeah. like that, because right. it's not, yeah. it's not on the shelf in Barnes and Noble. Right. So it right. must be kind of a strange thing. I'm glad, I'm glad we don't have that problem. Right. Yeah, I know my sister was that way for years and years and years. She's and then she said to me one time, uh, "There's no good horror out there anymore." It's like because you're looking in the wrong fucking place. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> As people get real uh, sorry that they say that to me, because I'm like, "Oh my God, sit down. We have so much to talk about." Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> get your notebook out. <laughs> Lady, I just walked past you. No, no, sit down. Sit down, Karen. We have much to talk about. <laughs> Karen. Of course it's Karen. It's always Karen. It's always Karen. On her way to go get the manager for something. <laughs> Shut your trap and sit down, Karen. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, you, it's funny you say that about, like, how it must be weird. Because I was one of those people, you know, a couple of years ago where I wasn't aware of, like, all these indie presses and stuff and then once i did it was like almost overwhelming like there's so many good books out there like i don't think i could ever possibly read them all i try like hell to but yeah yeah i I don't think it's possible (laughs) i get it I'm, uh, you know, I don't even try anymore. I, I know for a fact that all the books I have and all the books on my Kindle and all the books I will buy in the future will, <laughs> many of them will be buried with me because I won't. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I really do. Uh, there's a soft spot in my heart for all you reviewers out there that review horror books. I don't know how you can possibly keep up with it. Um, it's. It's a juggling act. Yeah, I, I, but I mean, there is just, it's not just that there's so much stuff out there, but there really is legitimately so much good stuff that I, I don't know how you, I don't know how you make a decision about what you're going to read and what you're not going to read. It's uh, there's but, just so much stuff. And it's heartbreaking sometimes because yeah. you have to choose between some, you know, and you do start playing favorites after a while just because you start knowing who you really, really, really are sure. going to like. Mm-hmm. Um, and you want to, I don't, I don't write bad reviews. If if your book sucks, you'll right. know, cause I'll never say anything about right. it, you know? Um, but, uh, it's, I totally lost my train of thought. No, I, I, <laughs> okay, I wasn't listening. Shane and I are. <laughs> Love you, Shane. Shane and I are kind of the same school of thought there. And, um, like, there's, you know, however people choose to do their reviews is fine. But as far as us as a website, we don't usually post negative reviews because we would rather just tell people what we enjoy rather than try and take on everything and review, you know, everything. We'd rather just kind of curate it and be like, right, here's all the stuff that we like. So it might seem like it's all just positive, but that's kind of like a conscious choice just to let people know, like, this is stuff we like, because like you said, there's so many great things out there. If, if we don't like something, chances are we just, stop you know yeah well, yeah i mean like, i'm not 
I don't like to read. I don't like to read a bad review of someone else's stuff. It's it's just mm-hmm. it makes me wince. It's just like, eh. yeah, you know. So I think just not talking about it if you don't like it, that's probably the the better way to go. I agree. Um, because none of us have time for that. You don't need to listen to that. You need to hear what is good to read. Right. Um, and that's all I want to tell people about. You know, the point for me, a big part of it, it's 50-50 kind of a, I want to support readers, mm-hmm. but I want to support authors and publishers too. And by saying, hey, John's last book fucking sucked, I'm not supporting <laughs> anybody. <You know? laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get a reader to read anything, nor did right. I get John to like me very much. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Shoo. I'm taking another drink of whiskey after that. <laughs> I will too, just for solidarity. Yeah. I, I will too, just because I'm an alcoholic like the rest of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I guess um, one thing I'll ask, you know, I'll ask you, Patrick, as far as cutting block books, but also you, D, and John, just in general. Um, do you guys have any projects you're currently working on that you're a really excited about and B can speak with our listeners openly about? Well, see nothing that I can talk about at the, at the moment. I don't want to be like John and, and do. <laughs> yeah, but let me tell you about this project. John's working on. <laughs> <laughs> but I know that uh, I know D is working on something, and yes, I, John is obviously working on various things. <laughs> yeah, I've got, uh, the two most interesting things are the one thing I can't talk about, so I won't talk about it. Um, <laughs> Quit but, fucking um, talking about it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I can't shut up about it. Um, I'm working with a guy named Matt Corley who runs a, an RPG company, a role-playing game company called uh, Saturday Morning Scenarios. And we are working together to bring a role-playing version of The Fearing out. Um, nice. Which oh, I was yeah. really excited about. I don't have, you know, I haven't played Dungeons & Dragons in 30-some-odd years, so don't have much of a background in the current state of role-playing games. So Matt certainly does. And he's working with uh, Sarah Tantlinger right now on uh, – uh, they wrote a novella together based on Sarah's work in H.H. Uh, Holmes and that kind of uh, mythos. And uh, they're doing a role-playing game there. And then probably late this year or early next year, we'll start uh, the Kickstarter for for the fearing thing. But as part of that, I'm, I'm writing right now, actually, a novella uh, set in the fearing uh, milieu um, uh, that'll be concerning uh, Tim Jacoby, the rise of Jim, Tim Jacoby. Um, and we're calling it uh, The Fearing Blood and Brimstone. And that's going to involve a role-playing game, a freestanding novella, a, an RPG guidebook with a novella in it. And then Tony uh, is going to come on board and offer the paperback and digital versions of this uh, novella. So it's pretty cool. Awesome. I'm excited about it. That is pretty cool. And real quick, John, uh, in this RPG, what character would you uh, would you 
most closely align with. Oh, hell. I mean, I guess, you know, probably Jacoby. Mark. Yeah, <laughs> That's my fantasy character. <laughs> you always want to be the bad guy, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> not that particular you want to be, Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, probably Mark. I mean, Mark is kind of the – I think every author uh, takes the, the – protagonist is sort of a some sort of a version of himself so uh probably that but this is going to be exciting because i'm i'm covering this blank spot in where tim jacoby came from not in any way to make him a sympathetic character but just kind of more to explain where he came from and what happened so uh that's very cool yeah yeah i'm excited about it uh and you know the role-playing aspect is just something that's really really cool and the fact that Tony wanted to jump in on it is pretty cool, too. Um, yeah, that is cool. I hadn't heard that part of it yet. And that's pretty exciting. So we'll have to get him on that podcast, too, then, huh? Yeah, yeah. He <laughs> yeah, loves Tony. to talk on podcasts. <laughs> I know he does. <laughs> Tony. Talks and talks and talks. So you can't shut him up. <laughs> yeah. That is get him. entirely sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> But, you know, uh, the last time we talked about Tony on this podcast, he has he still hasn't talked to me since then. So <laughs> <laughs> he sends me all sorts of uh, DMs on Twitter when when the talk <laughs> it comes out. Why'd you say that about me? What what did you mean by that? Where where did you go with that? Are you are you unhappy with me? Oh my god! Oh my god! Why don't you come on the podcast and talk for yourself? You sound, like, you sound like someone's Jewish grandma for <laughs> I think he's still mad at Shane and I for uh, busting his chops over the Chicago Bears. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Well, Tony, if you're listening, I don't even like sports ball. And, um, you know, I, I, I would love you to come on and I won't let them talk smack about whatever sports ball I, team it is. I I would even be happy to come on with Tony and hold his little hand, metaphorically. <laughs> does, does, he, does he really have little hands? I don't know. I, 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 can say nothing I can say nothing about that. But uh, the other thing I'm working on that I wanted, to, I wanted to talk about was the Cosmic Horror Collection. Yes, so yes, yes, yes. I'm about halfway done with that. Uh, there'll be four novellas, uh, and I'm calling it uh, All the Stars Die One by One. So uh, that's what's on my plate right now. That sounds fantastic. I'm I super love excited that title. Yeah. yeah, same. Because, uh, yeah, I'm behind on my reviews, but I'm working on one for uh, the Lullabies for Suffering anthology. Oh, yeah. And that story, uh, yeah, you were right. It uh, it was pretty extreme. <laughs> <laughs> the Melting Point of Meat, one of my favorite story titles of mine. <laughs> So, hey, here's a question real quick, because I'll forget, and I'm just blunt enough to ask it. Where's your accent there, D? What do you mean? Uh, this, this is a... I mean, unless you get the turban into me, you know, it might come out a lot more pronounced then. <laughs> He's not going to tell you. Depends on how much I talk. Yeah. <laughs> What do you mean? Um, never mind. <laughs> uh, you know what? Though some sometimes you open your mouth and say shit like that, and you get yourself in bad trouble. Yeah. 
You know, I, I had a woman come through my line when I was working in grocery um, and she was like easily nine months pregnant. And I told her congratulations on that. And she said, oh. on what? Yeah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was being fat. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and that was the extent of my grocery career. Wow. <laughs> I can see that. I'm going to keep my mouth shut on Ben saying things about uh, Dean, <laughs> do you have anything coming up? Um, yeah, well, I do have some things that are going on um, kind of behind the scenes. I've kind of slacked off a little bit on it because uh, we're trying to kind of work on some of my own uh, writing stuff. And it's mm-hmm. kind of difficult to juggle that when I'm doing uh, anthology stuff. Uh, so it's kind of <clears throat> taking a little bit of a, a break there. Um, but I do have some anthology things that I'm working on and, um, can't really say anything else about it at this point, but there will be a day. Are you working on the same thing I'm working on? Are are we not going to be able to talk about it even to each other? I I don't think, I don't know, man. I I, I still got to talk to you about one other thing. Uh, Okay. All I got, all I got was John said, Hey, I have some great news. Could you share that? (laughs) <laughs> Shut up, Gene, or I'll drive up there and kill you. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> uh, he means it. You are the, the, the first thing or the second thing? <laughs> uh, either. You know, I the mean, thing. It's like the a, thing. Plus some the kind thing. of mafia conversation. The thing and all the other things. <laughs> The, the thing with the concrete. <laughs> <laughs> I might go straight to the murder because why not? Why not? <laughs> but uh, yeah, D, is there anything you could tell us about like the stuff that you're working on, like your own uh, personal writing? Because I've read uh, Blood Savages and Beneath Ash and Bone, yes. and I loved both of those. So any any details you could throw our way about stuff that you're writing would be great uh, well um let's see uh, bloodshot books is putting out a novel of mine i think it's probably gonna come out in 2021 heat um, he, yep and it's uh the the novel's called pound of flesh All right and uh it's uh yeah it's 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 kind of cool um it, it's real um I mean, I feel like it's a little bit of a throwback mm-hmm. um, book. It's kind of a, I might call it a, a love letter to things that I read growing up that shaped me, you know, like The Shining and, sure. uh, you know, Dead Zone and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, it was an unintentional, uh, you know, unintentionally that way. But after <laughs> after years of editing on it, uh, every couple of years I'd go back and rewrite it. Um, and, um, I, uh, finally just one day as I was looking at it, realized that that's kind of what it was, but in any case, um, so that, that's coming out from bloodshot books, uh, sometime in 2021, I believe. And, uh, uh, otherwise I'm, I'm working on a a couple new things, uh, probably gonna maybe look at doing a couple, two or three novellas here and seeing if I can find a home for those. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of them is a kind of a horror western, and uh, could possibly be possibly be one 
uh, first the first part of something in a series, but I don't really have any concrete plans for it yet. Right. I love a good horror western. That's cool. Yeah. I do too. I do too. Yeah. Ash and Bone was a was one of my favorite yeah. books that I read mm-hmm. that year. No, oh, uh, thanks. Fun stuff. So exciting to hear you're doing more of that stuff. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm pretty excited for all those because, like I said, I loved uh, both of those. And I was just curious because I think do you plan on revisiting uh, like the Blood Savages world at all or no? Oh, I no, I mean, yeah, I could. Like if somebody came up to me and said, hey, can you do three more of these and I'll pay you? I'll say, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Because, yeah, I mean, I got, I got loads of ideas, but, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, I could, definitely, I could definitely see, uh, you know, going back to that because, I mean, I, I had partial things written up already. So I could I could definitely go back to that, and I would like to someday. I just, um, you know, it's kind of weird. Sometimes you, you kind of want to push yourself in a different direction to see if you can do it rather than go yeah. back to something that right. you're, you're comfortable with. So I think that's probably what's been going on with me. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, that the, all those sound really cool. And I can't wait to uh, can't wait to read all of that stuff. Cool, man. I I think a new standard question on the podcast is going to be anything you can't talk about that we can talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's no, get it out of the way, huh? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Can you just tell me to fuck off now and we'll get on? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, guys, yeah. we're, getting, we're getting toward our wind up time here. Um, okay. I got to turn back into a pumpkin before my wife <laughs> into a smashed one. <laughs> but yeah, we've had a great time talking to you guys, and you know, thanks for uh, you know joining us tonight. And there's a lot of cool stuff in there. I definitely learned a lot, and I'm pretty sure a lot of our listeners are going to learn a lot too. Well, thank you, well, thank you for thank having you. us. Yeah, absolutely, appreciate uh, it. Absolutely, thank you for being here. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, I don't get enough we enjoyed to talk with Patrick and, and D enough, so this has been great. <laughs> one of these days one of these days I want to get want to get all you guys in a live stream thing like we did with that con today and Yeah, we, that'd be cool. We, we can all just yeah. sit there and get fucking hammered together. <laughs> <laughs> the last time I got hammered with D he had to pick me up off the bar floor. Say the word. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was a good night. That was a good night. <laughs> I, I was gonna say that was a good night. You wouldn't, you wouldn't remember him telling you about that the next day. <laughs> no, unfortunately, I remembered every detail. Oh, yeah. that's worse. <laughs> it wasn't as bad as he's making it sound. I know, but you know, it's, it's thank God Wait, I have very that... good dignity. So. <laughs> I think I was there for that, right? You were. Yeah, I think you, you were, you, Patrick. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I looked over, I looked away, and then I looked back, and like you were gone. And it Which is hard for a person of my size to disappear. Poop. <laughs> <laughs> like, where did John go? Yeah. Unfortunately, I, you know, I would love to tell you it's, you know, oh, John had too much to drink or whatever, but John is old and John stood up too fast. 
and John had one of those blood pressure things that, that yeah. goes, oh, perhaps you shouldn't stand up so fast anymore. Uh, and went yeah. down to the floor. So, go well. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I've been there a time out. or two. It did. It all worked out. I'm still here. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> did, so, here I have a listener asking, who, who yelled poop? <laughs> <laughs> Who yelled poop? That's not my words, man. Ah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I just got myself in a whole bunch of trouble. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> uh, I love you guys. It's been real, and I'm going to get the help. Okay. Hey, everybody. Thanks. Good night to everybody. All right. Have a good night. Good night, guys. It was a lot of fun. Good night. Thank you.